Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Finding Home podcast, where, as you know, I say home is more than just the sticks and the bricks you live in. It's really everything that goes on around you that makes you you and creates your space. My name is Keith Callister, and I will be your host, as I am every time. Today, I want to talk about something that I'm not... I'm not sure if it's the right or the wrong thing to do. I'm not sure if opening up in this way is going to be perceived as whiny or if it's just going to be what I feel like it is, and that's just being open and talking about something that I think all of us can go through and all of us can relate to. So I'm kind of taking a risk here, and I hope that you all can hang with me as I take that risk. Because like I said, I'm not sure if it's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. But it's something that I think, especially culturally here in Utah, honestly, probably everywhere. But because we live here, I want to talk about it in the context of living here. Something that we all do. Something that I feel like we can all relate with. Whether on the side of the point of view that I'm going to be coming from, or whether on the side of the point of view that is going to be on the other side of this pretend conversation that I'm about to talk about. There's good potential I'm going to sound whiny but I do promise you that it all ends well. But I think that's part of it. I think we've got to talk about the bad to understand the good. As you know, as I've been talking about for the last uh, couple of episodes, I broke my leg and I broke it pretty bad. Matter of fact, I broke it a lot worse than I, than I told most people. I broke it a lot worse than I wanted to accept myself. And I didn't want any of that to come across. So in most of my social media and even talking on the podcast, I played it down a little bit exactly the severity of what had happened. Uh, The reality was that I couldn't really get up for any extended amount of time for at least a month. I could be up for maybe an hour, but outside of that, I'd have to sit and elevate my leg because it would just fill up with blood. And I'm not sure if you know how the procedure that I got goes, and I'll just give you the quick, most graphic rundown of that. They essentially cut me open at the knee and spread my tendons there apart Uh, drilled a hole in the top of my tibia, the big bone in your lower leg, and then proceeded to literally sledgehammer a titanium rod into that hole and down the length of my tibia. So when I say I have a rod and four screws in my leg, it wasn't so simple as they just slid a rod down my bone, put the screws in. They really have to use some force to get that in there, and as a result, it really kind of screwed up my knee and my ankle in terms of part of that recovery. So more than my break, my knee and my ankle were hurting a lot and I couldn't do much. I couldn't put any weight on it. And if you've ever talked to somebody who's had a leg injury, any kind of leg injury, maybe even any injury at all, I've just been talking to people with leg injuries, you can ask them one question and they'll be able to answer. And that question is, at what point did you just get really, really down and depressed? And everybody can answer that. Everybody I've talked to can answer it. There's a point in which you feel like it's not ever going to get better. But we don't talk about that, do we? We do what I did. We say, oh, here we go. And we try and just talk about the positive and look to the future. And isn't that the way we do most things? We just, we downplay what was feeling off. We downplay when we were feeling down and we play it up with this positive attitude. And while I don't think that's exactly a terrible thing in all situations, I feel like we've absorbed this as a human culture. I feel like we've come to the conclusion that if we share the bad parts of our life, people won't know what to do with us. And I think that comes from a space of when someone is open and shares about maybe the harder parts of their life, most often we don't know what to do or say. 
So when things aren't going great, we just downplay it, which is exactly what I did. Okay, my leg was pretty screwed up, like not as bad as it could have been. Like I said in episode, was it seven or six? I can't remember. If you have to break your leg on the mountain and get hauled off the mountain and, and all that stuff, I did do it pretty ideally. I didn't have any soft tissue damage. I didn't have any tendon or ligament damage. I just really broke my leg good. Uh, at my first follow-up after my surgery, my surgeon gave me some information that was not helpful. But, you know, he asked if I wanted to know something that would make me mad, and I said yes. So, But what he said if, is if I had broken my leg two inches higher, I would have been able to put weight on it sooner, probably as soon as two weeks after the accident, as opposed to now where I'm six weeks later and I'm just now being able to put my foot on the ground, which don't get me wrong, is amazing. Hopping around on crutches on just one leg is horrible. And here's a pro tip for all of you people out there. If you know someone on crutches, don't go for the handshake, go for the fist bump. I'm not saying like people who are on crutches all the time for their life, because they've got this stuff figured out. I'm talking about people like myself who are injured for a couple of months because you've got your sweaty mitts all over these crutches all the time and you're setting them on the floor and you're picking them up. And yeah, you wash your hands, but I just don't think by its very nature, the hygiene is the same. So by that same token, here I am, right? I'm trying to recover from this broken leg. I'm, I'm an active person. I like to hike. I go to the gym on the regular. It's something I kind of have to do to, to feel good, right? And I'm not able to do any of that. And the reality is I'm stuck. I'm stuck in bed and I can't do any of the things that I normally do to engage. Now that's to engage with my friends and my family, also to engage with my clients and with my business. And as a result, my business has, has suffered. And now I'm playing that game where I have to scramble and try and get things back on track. But these things take time, right? In, in real estate, these things take time. This isn't a thing where I can put together some sort of launch for a web product and, and get paid in three days or what have you. I've got to cultivate some relationships. I've got to make sure people know what they're getting into and that they know what they're after, whether they're buying or selling a home. These things take time. People don't make these decisions super quickly in most cases. So here I find myself six weeks out and having not been able to work properly and not been able to interact properly with people, partially because I was injured and partially because I was just depressed. I was depressed about the whole situation. And I was unmotivated. So when people had asked me how it was going, it was always some ridiculous response like, so far so good, or things are improving, or I can get up a little bit more now, but the reality was I wasn't motivated and I didn't want to be doing anything because that's what we do. We downplay the things in our life that are bad in order for people to not perceive us as weak or as whiny because we all have that person in our life. We have that person in our life that complains about everything, and the last thing we want is to be that person. So we downplay things. I've got a couple of articles that I'm going to read from and kind of talk about. The first one is from EliteDaily.com, and it's just a guy, he's a, it's a lifestyle. So this isn't scientific at all, but he makes some solid points. And it's called, Are You Sure You're Okay? Why We Lie About How We're Doing by uh, Paul Hudson. And I'll include a link, of course, in the show notes. He says, we tend to lie about how we're doing five, ten times a day. And we just kind of get away with it because nobody answers this question truthfully. And in the article, he says, the reason we get away with it is because saying I'm fine or everything's good is a very vague reply. What exactly is good? No one is perfectly good, but we'll say we're good because we don't feel completely awful. Some things are good. Other things in our lives aren't so great. 
but when was the last time you were entirely and completely fine? We're usually somewhat fine, but more often than not, there is something weighing on our minds or bothering us. Although we are occasionally fine and everything is good, generally it's not. Nevertheless, we claim that it is all the time. Of course, most people ask how you're doing out of courtesy. In honest truth, they couldn't really care less about all of your little disappointments and problems. If there was something bigger that was wrong, then they might feign interest. But when people ask you how you were doing, they're not really looking for a story. They're basically saying hello. And I can kind of relate with that. And I guess it depends on the relationship you have. There's a National Geographic article that we're going to talk about that's just about lying. But we see this as an exchange of pleasantries. When somebody says, how's it going? They expect fine. In the same way, if they say, say hello, they expect hello in return. Part of this is because, again, from the article, it says because we've become so used to lying about how we feel and how we're really doing, we even do so when our close friends and family ask us about our lives. And that's, I think, where the, where the disconnect happens. It's fine for somebody like maybe a coworker that you don't talk to a lot, maybe somebody you don't really connect with. It's fine to just tell them you're fine. You don't need to unload all your problems on everybody. When somebody asks, maybe, maybe there are people in your life who are sincerely asking. Maybe there are people in your life who are looking for a deeper, more meaningful conversation with you about your life and their life. Maybe they're looking for somebody who they feel might understand that they don't feel great and fine all the time either. And I'm not going to get into the whole people just putting their, their best life on social media, you know, because it, it seems those are extremes. You either have your best or your worst. And we're not even getting into that. I'm talking about real life, face-to-face interaction. Why do we lie about how we're doing? And this article makes a really fantastic point is that some of the most popular television shows right now, the, the reality TV shows, things like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, I, I, I don't even know the names of all of them. There's just a ton of them. Some of the most popular shows on TV, partially because none of the characters, none of the people on the shows keep any of their emotions to themselves. What you get to do is sit and watch someone's crazy just spill out in front of you on live television. Sometimes that might make you feel better about your own situation. That maybe you're just not as crazy as this person who was chosen and cast specifically to convey that particular message. But in real life, we don't do that. And, and it's funny because you could equate it to other things that happen on television or in movies. In real life, we also aren't all kung fu masters or sharpshooters or whatever it might be. But the difference is we have the ability to share our lives, to share our stories. And we don't. And we don't principally, I think, out of fear. Out of fear and habit. We think that when someone asks how we are, or how we're doing, or how we're feeling, we think they're simply saying hello and expecting a canned response in return. There's another great article I read from National Geographic. This is from June of 2017. The article is called Why We Lie, The Science Behind Our Deceptive Ways. The author, I cannot say the name quite properly. I'll give it a try. Yudhijit Bhattacharji. Eh, good luck. I'm sorry for butchering that. I can't read all the names right. And this is a fantastic article. Again, I'll put a link in the show notes to it. It goes through some examples of some different kinds of lies that were told. It talks about Frank Abagnale, who Catch Me If You Can, that uh, movie and book was based on. There are a huge number of things in here where it discusses different situations in which people lie. And you can read that article. It's, it's fascinating. But I want to talk about a few of the points that this article makes. 
And this paragraph in particular, I just think is powerful. And it's got some 25 cent words when nickel words will do, but that's, again, it's a National Geographic article. So hang with me. Uh, I might mispronounce some words. So here we go. Article states, lying, it turns out, is something that most of us are very adept at. We lie with ease in ways big and small to strangers, co-workers, friends, and loved ones. Our capacity for dishonesty is as fundamental to us as our need to trust others, which ironically makes us terrible at detecting lies. Being deceitful is woven into our very fabric, so much so that it would be truthful to say that to lie is human. And when you really think about it, it's just kind of a part of life. You know, the old joke is the wife asks the husband how she looks in those jeans, and the husband says, great, even if he doesn't think so. And we've been told that it doesn't matter, that that's the answer. The husband can't go, eh, otherwise he's, he's a douchebag, right? About 20 years ago, a social psychologist named Bella DePaolo at UC Santa Barbara, she did a study with some colleagues, and they asked 147 adults to just jot down for a week every time they lied. And these researchers found, and, and this, this is self-reporting too, so these numbers are crazy because these are people who are probably lying about lying. But the, the researchers found that the subjects lied on average one or two times a day. And most of these untruths were, were harmless. They were just intended to hide somebody's inadequacies or protect somebody's feelings. DePaolo went on to do a later study, also in that with a similar sample size, found that most people have told one or more serious lies as well such as hiding an affair from a spouse or making false claims on a job application. And I'm not being an advocate for like the Brad Blanton radical honesty situation. I'm not saying in every situation you just need to tell 100% absolute truth. But there is an issue, I think. There is an issue where we've become so accustomed to the lie. We've become so accustomed to presenting a falsehood as an image of our life that all of us look around and think everybody else's lives are actually better than ours because of what we see. For example, if you're feeling really bad and someone asks you how you're doing and you say, oh, I'm all right, you feel that inside you. And you want, you want that other person to read that. You want that other person to feel that. You want that other person to feel that you're not all right. And you kind of want them to ask. You kind of want them to dig deeper. But we're not very good at detecting that. That's why passive aggression doesn't work. Because as humans, we like to think that we're really smart and that we pay attention to a lot of things, but the reality is that we don't. We've got too much going on to think about whether or not that person's specific tone of voice when they said, oh, I'm all right, was something that we should further delve into. We're too wrapped up in our own stuff to notice that slight break in their voice most of the time. And then the person who's speaking, the person who's saying, I'm okay, they feel like they couldn't be more clear that things were not okay. The most compelling thing in this article, I think, is an experiment that was done by, by Tally Sharot, who's a neuroscientist at uh, University College London. And what they showed is how the brain becomes basically immune to the stress or emotional discomfort that happens when we lie, making it easier to tell the next lie. They did fMRI scans of participants, and they focused on the amygdala, and they just saw that with each lie told, that the resistance to that lie in their own brain became weaker and weaker over time. And that's a, that's a weird thing to think of, like to think that maybe telling someone that you're fine when you're not 
can lead you to a larger lie. Uh, that's something that Robert Feldman, and by the same token, Frank Abagnale Jr., the guy, the guy who the Catch Me If You Can is based on, basically says, people are looking to trust you. Like if you say, he says, if you say I'm a pilot, they're not sitting there thinking, I don't think he's a pilot. Why would he say he's a pilot if he's not a pilot? They accept the statement at face value. They trust your words. And what this Robert Feldman of University of Massachusetts, he calls that the liar's advantage. He says people are not expecting lies. People are not searching for lies. And a lot of the time, people want to hear what they're hearing. So when someone asks you if you're okay, and you say, yes, I'm fine, that's what they want to hear, so they accept it. Because we don't want to hear that somebody else's life isn't going well. And this applies really specifically to some attitudes in real estate. In my industry, in real estate, there's this expectation that when someone asks you how's business, if you say business sucks, it's going to create this distrust. It's going to create that, well, I don't want to work with somebody whose business sucks. And there's a culture of lying in real estate. You ask your real estate agent friend, how's business? Inevitably, they'll say, business is great, it's fantastic, even if it's not. But that's, that's the reality for so many real estate agents. They'll say to you, business is great. If you press them, if you ask for, just ask them a dumb question like, well, how many listings or how many buyers do you have? The answer kind of changes. And they'll probably try to find a way around the question. Because the reality is, this is taught. This is taught in the real estate industry. Like so many things, this is taught. People are taught to lie. And that's why, I mean, there's a reason. There's a reason people in my industry, there's a reason that real estate agents are thought of poorly. And it's not just because they rip people off. Because for the most part, I've found there aren't a lot of really, really horrible real estate agents out there or realtors out there. There's just not. They exist. And I'll bet every one of you has a story of a family member or friend where that was done. But when you take into account the sheer number of people in my industry, they're not just out ripping people off, but they do lie. They lie about how good business is because they want you to think business is so good that you should do business with them. And I'm not so sure that, that that's how it works. I mean, you don't have to unload all your problems on somebody. I mean, I can tell you, yeah, my business suffered when I broke my leg. It suffered pretty severely. I'm way behind on my goals, right? I'm getting stressed out about it, but I'm back to work. I'm getting back after it. Now, what would you rather hear? Would you rather hear somebody lie and tell you that business is great? Or would you rather hear them tell you the truth? That this industry is hard. It is hard to do well in real estate. It's especially hard to do real estate and feel consistent with your internal moral character because the things they teach you to do don't feel right. If you've ever had a real estate agent in your life who calls you all the time or if you've ever tried to like do a for sale by owner, you know what I'm talking about. And the thing is, these people on the other end of the phone, these realtors who are calling you and bugging you, they hate it too. But they've been taught that that's the only way to do it, that they have to go out and beg for business. Now, I don't do that. I'm on, the, I'm on the cusp right now, but I can't bring myself to do business that way. So what did I do? When I broke my leg, I downplayed the severity. I downplayed the impact it had on my work. Because nobody wants to hear a real estate person complaining that they're not making enough money. Sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. And when you're down, when you're depressed, getting back into the groove of things is pretty hard. Getting back 
into going is hard. And I did something that made me really kind of uncomfortable. I asked for help. And it wasn't a huge deal. And for a lot of you, maybe this doesn't seem like a big thing was a big thing for me. I had a Facebook post where I just reached out and said, I'm unmotivated. I'm not feeling right. I'm not in the right place. Give me suggestions, books, podcasts, anything that helps you when you're feeling down. Did this on my, on my personal Facebook page. You can find me. I mean, if you friend me on Facebook and you don't look psychotic like, or look like a spam account or one of those weird uh, half-naked lady accounts, you can follow my personal page. You can follow the Finding Home page too, but I asked for help. And I got it. And what I really found out is that people are pretty damn cool if you open yourself up to them. And I got advice and pointed in direction of resources that have been helping, right? Like, I'm still laid up. My leg still doesn't work right. But my brain's getting back in the right place. And that's where it all starts, right? My mind is getting back in the right place. Because people, because people like you, because people who, who listen to this podcast or my friends on Facebook or my friends in real life, they reached out and they gave me something. And it wasn't just words of encouragement like, you got this, you can do this. But they gave me something that meant something to them whether it was a book or a podcast or even just a quote or a saying. And maybe more so than the actual books that I began to read or the actual podcasts I began to listen to, maybe more so than any of that, what really jump-started my situation was the fact that enough people cared to reach out. Enough people out there in my life cared I know how Facebook algorithms work. It's not like this post was sent out to every single person on my friends list with a notification. And it just it occurred to me that people are pretty fantastic. And with all the stuff, like I mentioned, that they teach you that you have to do in real estate, with all the, just the crap that makes you feel bad about yourself, the stuff that I, I tend to refuse to do, even I could do more business doing that. I'm pretty good at talking to people. I could talk somebody who's mad at me into giving me a shot. I, I choose not to do that. I choose to work with people who want to work with me. Because I have a saying, and it's becoming more and more clear over the last year uh, since I became a real estate broker. So now, of course, I help people buy and sell houses, but I also help real estate agents who need support and training. And I have a saying that I say to them, and it's become more and more clear that this is just the way I have to do it, come hell or high water. And that saying is, you need to be a human being first and a real estate agent like eighth. Because all the changes in my life, everything that's made a huge difference has started with being a human being first. All the clients I have, and I have amazing clients. If any of you are listening to this, I, I so appreciate not just that you exist, but that you are the people that you are, that you've, that you've given me the chance to know you. But as a human being, you have to be a human being first. And everything else has to fall down the line. I think right now that's it's just going to turn into one of my primary rules for life. What, with, what just happened in, in Charlottesville and all the vitriol and division that, that we're seeing in our society, where people are lining up on two sides of just specific issues and failing to see how connected and in agreement we are on so many other things. And it's turned into this name-calling back and forth. But I 
think that if we go out there and we're a human being first, if we go out there just with that idea that all of us are just human, go out there and say, I'm a human being first and a Republican or Democrat fifth or a religious person or a non-religious person second or third or your job or whatever it is afterwards. You need to focus that. Look at your life and say, I'm a human being first. And what would a human being say in this situation? When somebody asks you how you're doing, how would the human being in you like to respond? How would the human being like to respond? Not the Republican or Democrat. Not the Mormon or Catholic or Muslim. Not the process server or the call center employee or even the real estate agent. Nobody wants to hear that first. When one human being asks another human being how they're doing, maybe take a risk. Especially if you have an existing relationship with that person, take that risk. Even if it's something as simple as, things could be better. Or maybe it's something as simple as, if you do express that and someone says, is there anything I can do to help? Tell them. I was having lunch with a colleague the other day and he asked if there's anything he could do to help get my business back on track. And for me, just him having lunch, taking that time was a big deal. And it helped me. He's a pretty busy person, but he took the time to just spend an hour with me and eat some Hawaiian barbecue. And that meant a lot to me. That kept pushing me in the right direction. Because the more I feel like I connect with other people, the better I feel about things. So reach out. Be a human being first. Speaking of such, you guys know where you can find me, right? You can find me at findinghomepodcast.com. There's a contact form on there. You can find me at findinghomepodcast at gmail.com if you want to send me an email. If you want to call or text me, the number is 801-326-0315. Reach out. If you'd like to be on the podcast, let me know. If you just want to comment on the podcast, comment. But you know I love conversations. You don't have to have anything specific that you're hawking or doing. You don't have to have a business. You don't have, just, I'd like to talk to people. If you have a subject you'd like to talk about, if you have a subject where you have an opinion you'd like people to hear, I'm open to it. And of course, you need any help with anything in that crazy real estate world, you know where to find me. But for now, that's what I've got. Again, I don't know if this was the right thing to do. I don't know if sharing this much raw, just shit from my life is the right thing to do. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take a risk that you guys can understand. I'm going to take a risk that you guys can maybe even empathize with what I've been going through because you've been through it. And maybe, just maybe, it helps somebody to know that everybody has this. That everybody's walking around potentially hiding some sort of pain inside themselves. And maybe there are certain times where it's okay to let that out. So until next time, uh, I wish you guys all the best. Again, contact me should you find you need anything in regards to what you feel like I can do for you. Uh, next episode will be in two weeks. Uh, it's going to be an interview with just a fantastic artist friend of mine. His name is Jerry Hardesty. And he does, essentially for me, the only abstract art I've ever been able to really connect with. It was a great discussion for me because Jerry's a friend of mine. But he's a really fantastic artist. He's pretty eloquent uh, in, his, in his own way. So that's all I've got for this time, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. 
it means the world to me at this juncture. I didn't think as many people would be downloading this weird little podcast of mine as they do. So thank you. I love you all. Take care. Till next time.